Good morning. Thanks uh, so much for letting us uh, into your living room or into your vehicle, wherever you're at, your bedroom. Uh, my name's Trent. Thanks uh, for gathering the online worship service that is Gospel City Church. And uh, even as here in Indiana, some of the restrictions are beginning to be lifted, I know that you are probably weary of just doing church online. And I just want to invite you along with us to continue to be patient, waiting uh, for the green light for us to gather again. I want to remind you that we are a very unique church in a very unique season with three very unique congregations that make up Gospel City Church. Let me tell you about some of those. Um, we've got uh, campus in Elkhart, Indiana. We've got a church plant that we are trying to plant in downtown South Bend and of course our main campus here in Granger. And uh, as we begin to think about opening up, uh, one of the things that I hope you understand is when we reopen the church, we are not just reopening, we're going to have three grand openings in three brand new facilities that the Lord has graciously given to us as a church. And so uh, right now behind this wall where we're at, there is some deconstruction going on to our former worship center here in Granger. And uh, that is in anticipation of what we are going to soon be able to experience in our new worship center uh, that is being prepared for us. And when we meet together, we're going to meet in that worship center here in Granger. If you're part of our Elkhart County campus, the Lord's given us a new facility there in the Goshen area. And very soon you're going to be hearing some instructions about when you can meet together there in Elkhart. And of course, we're looking forward to the day that we can plant Redemption City Church in the downtown area of South Bend. And the Lord's given us a wonderful property there on Portage Road. So all of these locations are being prepared for when we can once again meet again. Uh, here at the Granger campus, we're not going to be meeting in the month of May uh, in a physical location, but we're going to continue to do what we're doing now in the live stream. And so let me just invite you to be patient. Nobody wants to get together more than I do and our staff and your pastors and elders that love you so much. We want to serve you well during this season, but we want to do it safely and we want to do it effectively. And I want you to be encouraged by what's happening right now. Every week that this goes out, we're seeing over 10,000 people engaged in what you are engaging in right now. So uh, we praise the Lord for technology. Our church is not the first to do that. Somebody sent me an article last night of a newspaper article that appeared in 19. 18, as the world was struggling with the flu epidemic there. And this is what the headline says. It says, Preaches to Telephone. It talks about an Indiana pastor that has a congregation on the wire during the flu epidemic. Holding church services by telephone was one result of the flu influenza epidemic. This was done by one church in Muncie, Indiana, which arranged that at 10.30 on a Sunday morning, through the, the cooperation of the local telephone company, the telephones of all the subscribers who wished should be connected with the telephone in the church, to which a special microphone was attached, and the church organist also played a few numbers which were thoroughly enjoyed by the listeners. And so um, we've got some special technology that's even upgraded beyond a telephone wire and probably on your end you've got some things that make us uh, make it uh, 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 
available for us to connect with you. So uh, let's use this as best as we can, and uh, let's lean into God's Word this morning. Let me invite you to open your Bible to Luke chapter 20. And as you're opening your Bible, let me remind you, we don't just open our Bible to fill our heads with Bible knowledge. We open our Bible to know Christ. Christ is our teacher, and when we read His words, He encounters us by His Spirit as He illuminates the words in our Bible. So I trust you have a Bible this morning. I'm going to read uh, from Luke chapter 20 in just a moment. We're in this series called Divine Deconstruction. And as we walk into the last week of the life of Christ in the pages of the Gospel of Luke, what we're discovering is Jesus is having encounters with people who held some false belief systems. And they had some things that they needed to have deconstructed before they could understand the things that were true about Christ. And so Christ is engaging them. And He engages us as well because, I don't know about you, I've got wrong belief systems. I've got false saviors that I run to. And those things have to be daily deconstructed. That's what it means to be a follower of Christ so that He can... Uh, reign in our hearts uh, through His Spirit. So this morning we're going to talk about the divine deconstruction of my control issues. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, or actually last week, uh, we learned from Christ the parable of the talents and Christ was teaching us that I need to take responsibility for my life. And the key to following Christ, one of the keys, is taking responsibility for my life while continually releasing control of my life to Christ. So we're going to talk about some of our control issues here this morning. Let me just read uh, the opening verses here of Luke chapter 20. Follow along with me. It says, One day, as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple, it's a great day when you can gather thousands of people in a physical location to do that without social distancing. That's what Jesus was doing. He was teaching the people in the temple and preaching the gospel, which is exactly what we continue to do. I need the gospel preached to me every day. I need to preach the gospel to myself every day. Jesus is preaching the gospel to us today, even in this text. It says, The chief priests, the religious leaders and the authorities, the self-righteous, religious, Bible fatheads that we like to call them, they had knowledge, but they didn't have a lot of wisdom. The chief priest and the scribes with the elders came up and said to him, Tell us, by what authority do you do these things? Or who is it that gave you this authority? That's the key issue for us, right? By whose authority are you going to live your life? And that's the critical question in this text. That's the critical question for us. Who's going to control me? Am I going to live by God's authority and let Him control my life? Or am I going to live by my authority and I'm, am I going to try to control my life myself? That's the question. Verse 3 says, Jesus answered them and said, I also will ask you a question. Now tell me, was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? So he refers back to his cousin John, John the Baptist. It was a baptism of repentance. John was a prophet. We could call him the last of a series of Old Testament prophets that came to warn God's people that they should repent and relinquish control to, to God. And it's what the job of a prophet is, is to warn people that you're not in control. God is. And so 
Jesus refers back to this prophet John and asks these guys, do you think he was preaching by God's authority or his own authority? He asked them that question. Verse 5 says, they discussed it with one another, saying, if we say from heaven, he will say, why did you not believe him? But if we say from man, all the people will stone us to death, for they are convinced that John was a prophet that spoke from God's authority. Verse 7, So they answered him and said they did not know where it came from. And Jesus said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. So these guys were guys that were struggling with the issue of control. They did not want to relinquish control to God. They felt threatened by Jesus' authority. They wanted to hold on to their own authority. These were guys that had some control issues. Now let me ask you a question. Do you know anyone who has control issues? Have you ever encountered people that have control issues? Um, that These guys were notorious for having control issues. Now, if you are a parent thinking about moms here on Mother's Day, let me ask you, have you, have you noticed that your children have some control issues? Have you noticed that they actually want to be the center of attention and actually control your life and your behaviors and your movements? Uh, children have control issues. The good news is, is they turn into teenagers. Have you noticed that teenagers have some control issues? They don't like to be bossed around. You ain't the boss of me. You're not going to tell me what time to come home. Teenagers have control issues. Now, if you're a parent, you realize that the control issues of children and the control issues of teenagers actually expose the control issues of parents, right? Parents have control issues, and it's our children's desire for control that actually exposes our control issues. Um, singles have control issues. One of the reasons why singles remain singles is because they don't want to enter into a lifelong covenant relationship with another person that could have the potential of being controlling. And so we would rather hold on to our autonomy. Maybe we'll date. Maybe we'll even cohabitate. But I'm not going into some covenant relationship with somebody that I can't control. Some of us get to the place where we do enter into that covenant relationship of marriage. And you know what we discover? We discover that married people have control issues. Every marital issue essentially is over a control issue. Who's going to control what? And so we have to work together and learn to be interdependent and relinquish our control issues. Now, listen, atheists have control issues. That's one of the reasons they're atheists, is they don't want to believe in a God who exercises sovereign control or wants to control their lives. But you know who the worst of the control issue people are? It's the people that Jesus is addressing in this story. It's the people that have the most exposure to the knowledge of God, the revelation of Scripture. Religious leaders, pastors can be the worst we can have the worst issues with control because we see all of our people and we want to control them. We don't want them to stray. And so in a, in a desire to lead, we, we may go to an extreme and try to control. And Don't you just wish you could take all the people that had control issues and just somehow lock them up and put them away so that you could control them? Here's the point that I'm trying to make. We all have control issues. And a relationship with Jesus requires Jesus daily confronting my issues of control. He wants to divinely deconstruct that.
Here's the main point of the message. Understand that every behavioral problem, every addiction, every sin issue in my life is in some way related to my desire to maintain control. Gaining control is one of our greatest ambitions. We want to get to the place where we're free to control the things around us. And yet losing control is one of our greatest fears. And when we sense that we're not in control, we become fearful. And in this season of pandemic, our control issues are being exposed because there's so many things that we used to have control over that we no longer have control over. And the reality is we've, we've never really had control at all. We live with an illusion of control. Think about it. There, all the things that we can't control. We can't control our family of origin, where we were born and when we were born. We can't control our children. I mean, if you're a parent, you, you know that. Now, the fact that you can't control your children is not a, an excuse for not training your children to exercise self-control. So we can't get off the hook there as parents. We're to train our children to have self-control, but we realize as parents, especially the older they get, we, we can't control what they think and how they live and the way they want to live their life. In some sense, parenting is releasing the sense of control and trusting that what we've trained them will, be, will become self-control in their lives. We can't control our children. We can't control our spouse. We can't control what other people think of us. We can't control what other people say about us. And ultimately, we have to get to the place where we understand we cannot control God. And yet, that's exactly what we want to do. We want God to answer every prayer, to do things on our agenda, to check off our list of things we, we want to control God. God refuses to be controlled, and that's the reason that Jesus tells us a story. Now, we saw there that Jesus said, I'm not going to tell you by what authority I do these things. But then do you know what he does? He takes the next 10 verses and tells them a story so they would understand the answer to their question, and the answer to the question, by whose authority does he do these things? So, if we're going to learn to give God control, we're going to have to learn four things here this morning. Here's the first. We have to know our place in God's vineyard. Verse 9 says, He began to tell the people this parable, a word picture, a story. A man planted a vineyard and let it out to some tenants, and went into a, another country for a long time. And when the time came, he sent a servant to the tenants so that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent another servant, and they also beat him and treated him shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent a third. This one also they wounded and cast out." And then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I know. I'll send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Let us kill him, so that the inheritance may be ours. And they threw him out of the vineyard, and they killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? Verse 16, He will come 
and he will destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. And when they heard this, they said, Surely not. But he looked directly at them and said, What then is this that is written? And Jesus quotes from Psalm 118, this passage of Scripture. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. So Jesus uses this very vivid word picture to challenge our control issues. He uses these five different images in the story, and it's, it's pretty easy to depict what Jesus is talking about. First of all, there is this vineyard. What is this vineyard that Jesus is talking about? Well, the vineyard, we don't even have to guess about that. All we have to do is read our Bibles. Back in Isaiah chapter 5, verse 7, the Scriptures tell us what the vineyard is. He says, For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are His pleasant planting." And he looked for justice, and behold, bloodshed, for righteousness, but behold, an outcry. So let your mind's eye picture a vineyard. In a vineyard, you see vines, and of course, there's fruit on those vines, uh, grapes, right? But the vineyard that God has planted is his kingdom, it's his realm, it's his activity. Most directly, Jesus is speaking to the nation of Israel, which is what God planted years ago. This is a story of history past. The whole history of the world is wrapped up in this parable. Thousands of years ago, God chose a man named Abraham, and from his line there came this great nation. God planted a nation. And what he wanted, the fruit that he wanted from that nation, we're told in Isaiah, is two things. Justice and righteousness. And what he was doing there with the nation of Israel is what he wanted from all creation. And it's what he wants today from my heart. Yes, there's a literal sense here in which Jesus is talking about Israel, but there's a, there's a very real sense that the vineyard that he is speaking of is the heart inside of me. What he wants my heart to produce is justice and righteousness. And he tells us who the owner of this vineyard is. Obviously, the owner is God. God's the one that planted the vineyard. God plants a vineyard. He wants to govern it by His Word. He wants to enjoy it from the fruit of righteousness and justice. And God expects that vineyard to be used for His purposes. So that leads us to the third image here. It's the image of the tenants. He lent it out to some tenants while He went away. And these tenants were the religious leaders there in Israel. And yet they didn't understand their role. They didn't understand that they were just tenants. They weren't the owner. You see, the problem is my heart wants to act like an owner rather than a tenant, just a temporary servant, a steward of that which God has planted. And so these tenants began to operate as if they were the owner. Let me, let me use another picture that might be more relevant for you today. Have you, ever, have you ever rented a car? You didn't own the car. You just had it for a little while. Question, did you drive the car like you were the owner or the renter? 
did, did you accelerate a little faster? Did you, did, did you drive in such a way that you knew if you damaged it, it, it you weren't the owner? You were just, just borrowing the car, right? And so that's the same way that these guys were acting there in the vineyard. And it's the, it's the sense in which God wants me to understand my heart, my life, my ambitions, my purpose is not my own. It was given to me as a gift. I am not to control it. I am simply to use it for the purposes of justice and righteousness. And so we see that in uh, the picture here of the vineyard. God wants to produce something in me that is righteous and just and good. The problem is, for, for, for me, I, I tend to want to use the things that God has given me for my own purposes and for my own control. And I need to understand from this passage that it's God that is the owner and the controller of my life. He wants me to use my life for His purposes. Here's the second thing we have to understand. We have to listen to the warning of God's messengers. And so, in the passage of Scripture here, the owner, God, sends some servants back to the tenants to remind them to use the vineyard for the purposes for which He installed them. The servants here are a picture of the prophets. We've already talked about John the Baptist, who was the last of these Old Testament prophets that were coming as a spokesman, a representative representative for God. But there was a line of these men that God had sent in His love to warn these people that they are to produce justice and righteousness. In 2 Chronicles chapter 36, really chronologically, this would be the last chapter of all of the Old Testament history books. And he sums up all of the Old Testament history this way. He says in 2 Chronicles 36 verse 15, The Lord, the God of their fathers, sent persistently to them by His messengers because He had compassion on His people, on His dwelling place. Do you understand why God sends messengers? It's because of His great compassion toward sinners, toward those that act like owners rather than tenants. He sent them, but they kept mocking the messengers of God, despising His words and scoffing at His prophets until the wrath of the Lord rose against His people, until there was no remedy. Let me ask you a question. If you were one of the servants in this story, remember He sent three of them. The first one got beat up and sent back. The second one got beat up and sent back. The third one got beat up and sent back. If you were one of God's messengers, would you have gone understanding how the previous messengers had been treated? And yet finally, God sends them His Son. Each one of them didn't just come to the vineyard. They didn't just come to the people that were acting so irresponsibly. They were sent They were sent by a compassionate God to warn them to turn their lives over to His authority, to relinquish control, to give God that which He wants out of that which He has planted. You and I, if you're a Christian, 
you are one of God's messengers sent to a broken, lost world that is filled with injustice and unrighteousness. And we live as those sent by a compassionate God with the message of the gospel, with the message simply to say, God wants control of your life. You are not the one to be in control. And so that's what a messenger does. He is sent by one of the prophets. The ministry of prophets is simply to remind us that God is in control and that we are not. Let me ask you this. What messengers has God placed in your life to remind you you're not in control? And let me just identify that there's never been a perfect messenger. I know that for me, God's used parents. He's used pastors and preachers. He's used spouses. He's used children. He's used difficulty. He's used trouble in my life as His messengers to get my attention, to try to press the message into my heart, I am not in control. How have you received God's messengers in your life? And and again, don't let the imperfections of the messenger detract you from the perfection of the message. The message of God's warning to you is perfect, but they always come through imperfect messengers. For for some of you, you, you've had a difficult relationship with your father or your mother, and yet there were key moments and key times when they warned you and they, they tried to direct your life imperfectly, and yet God used them to try to get your attention. Have you turned your back on those messengers? Or maybe it was a spouse. Maybe it was a preacher. Maybe it is this preacher that God is trying to use, an imperfect messenger to drive home to your heart today to give God absolute control, to surrender to the authority of Jesus Christ in your life. Stop living by your own authority in the most practical component parts of your life, in your sexuality, in the way that you handle finances, in the way that you respond to difficulty, in the way that you respond to difficult people. Give up the battle for control of your life and surrender control completely, fully, and finally to God. And let me remind you, as we always say, that doesn't just happen in a one-time moment somehow 30 years ago. To follow Jesus means there is a daily divine deconstruction of my control issues and giving Christ that which He wants. So who have been those messengers to you? And sometimes it's just the difficulties of life. I I was reading, uh, Pastor Tim Keller said this. He says, life will never let you control it. If life won't act as if you're the owner, far and away the most obvious explanation is that you aren't the owner. Life is wild. You may be a very scheduled person. You've got your calendar, you've got your budget, you've got your appointments, 
You, you know where everything you own is, and yet something will always spin out of control. And that is God's messenger to you to say the only way to live your life in this chaotic world is by daily surrendering control to Christ. Stop trying to control everybody and everything around you and give God control. Stop acting like the owner and embrace your role as the tenant. Thirdly, let your life be broken by God's love. Verse 13 says, The owner of this vineyard said, What shall I do? And here's his answer. He said, I'm going to send my beloved son. And of course, we know who that son represents. It's the son of God. Jesus, the only begotten son of God in whom the father was well pleased. And he sent that son as an act of love to us. John chapter 3, many of us are familiar with John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever would believe in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. But many of us don't know the verse that follows that. This is what he says. He says, God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Through, the, through, through His Son, the world would be saved. The Son is on a rescue mission to rescue those who are being controlled by sinful, selfish actions. And the only way to be saved from the control of sin is by surrendering control to the Son of God. Jesus' parable started off as a historical, a, a historical narrative of 2,000 years of history past. God planted this vineyard through Israel, and Israel rejected the prophets that God continued to send. And finally, He sent His Son. And Jesus is speaking this likely on the Tuesday before the Friday that He was beaten, tried, sentenced, and crucified on a cross. And Jesus is predicting His own death. Do you want to know how evil the human heart is? Do you want to know how the heart refuses to be controlled? How did the human heart react when the one time in history in, that God became most vulnerable through His Son, how did the human heart treat him. They beat him. They arrested him. They captured him. They controlled him. And they hung him on a cross. They would rather kill the compassionate Son of God than lose control. And of course, this story is not just about people, what people did with the physical body of Jesus 2,000 years ago. It reveals a heart condition in every person that battles for control. And the issue is this. We will either lovingly submit ourselves to Christ and allow our flesh to be crucified on the cross, or 
we will allow Jesus, who lovingly submitted himself to humanity and allowed himself to be controlled and crucified on that cross. There's, there's only one of two choices daily. We will either attempt to control Christ by crucifying him or we will give Christ control of our life, allowing him to crucify us. Our hearts are in a battle for control. Here's the last thing. Build your life on the foundation of God's Son. At the end of this story, they, they hear what Jesus is saying to them, and they recognize what He's saying, that these self-righteous religious leaders are about to torture and crucify the Son of God. And they cry out. They say, surely not. We would never treat you that way. And yet Jesus switches the analogy, quotes from the Old Testament, and quotes a very familiar passage. It says, the stone which the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Jesus is identifying himself as the only foundation for righteousness and justice. The thing that God wants most out of his vineyard is righteousness. The thing that God wants most out of my heart is righteousness. But the only way righteousness and justice will ever come out of my heart is if I build my life on the cornerstone of God's Son. And we all have a choice. Jesus took that and interpreted it, and this is what he said. He said, everyone who falls on that stone will be broken into pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. So the first picture is you going your way. Maybe you trip, you stumble, you fall on that stone. And that could be very painful. It could shatter a leg. It could shatter a hip. It could shatter an ankle. But I believe what Jesus is saying for us here is you can recover from that. You, you can receive that cornerstone, that breaking to pieces as a foundational moment for your life. Because Jesus is the cornerstone upon which every life is to be built. And if you receive Jesus, if you receive the brokenness, if you will allow your desire to be, your desire to control to be broken, if you will allow your will to be broken and surrender control to Christ, then that cornerstone becomes the foundation upon which your life is built. And then righteousness is built out of that when He is the cornerstone. There's only one other option. Either you're going to build your life on that cornerstone by allowing your will to be broken into pieces, or that cornerstone will fall on top of you and Jesus says, you will be crushed. Either you will be broken by the love of God or you will be crushed by the judgment of God. And it all depends on what you do with your desire to control your life. Either you will resist the control of God, or you will surrender to the control of God. Can I ask you a question? Do you claim that Jesus is, this, is the foundation, the cornerstone of your life? You cannot claim 
Jesus as your foundation if you will not submit to Jesus as your authority. You cannot claim that Jesus is the foundation under you unless there is evidence that Jesus is the authority over you. Question, will you be broken or will you be crushed? Either you will receive Jesus and his control over your life. Either you will be one of those servants that that understands your role in the vineyard or you'll be an owner that pretends like, you'll, you'll be a tenant that pretends to be an owner. And so in this moment, Maybe for the first time, or maybe you need to do like me every morning when you wake up, understanding this is another day where I'm either going to try to control my life, I'm going to try to control the people around me, or I'm going to surrender control to Christ. Either I'm going to act like the owner, or I'm going to act like the tenant and use my life and my heart for the things which he intended. And if you will build your life on the foundation of Jesus as the cornerstone, He gets the glory, He gets the control, and we get the joy of handing to Him the things that He wanted to produce in our lives to begin with. Would you pray with me right now? As much as you can, focus, block out distractions there in your environment, and just pray a very simple prayer. Lord, today... I give you control. Forgive me for the ways that I've tried to control my life. Forgive me for rejecting the messengers that you've compassionately sent my way. And I realize no matter how hard I try, I can't control this life. I need you. I can't even produce the righteousness and justice you want out of my heart. And so, Jesus, I choose to build my life on you as the chief cornerstone. Pray in Jesus' name.